Guess who? It's me again. It's five o'clock. Do you care what the mainstream media says? What's up, family out there? You listening? What's good, fam? Good to see you guys out there today. Hope all is well. Happy Tuesday the 10th. It's already Tuesday. Time's flying by as always, and uh, we got lots to get to today, so I'm going to pretty much hop pretty much straight to it today. Um, Andy Biggs just held a hearing uh, that was on OAN. <clears throat> Freedom Caucus members holding a hearing on the DOJ FBI overreach on America's press. It's an hour and a half long uh, kind of hearing. James O'Keefe... Um, Cheryl Atkinson and Harmy Dillon uh, were there, and I, I really want to watch that. I was uh, I ran out to um, got another truckload of crap loaded up, and uh, brought over to the to the house so I can. I, we're pretty much got it down to the the studio here. I got all my books over there. I got all the smaller stuff. Even got food over there. I got to get the freezer over there. That's tomorrow. Um, and then Thursday, we're pretty much good to go. I think we could probably get get here out of here until there within like an hour and a half, two hours. So um, we're pretty good to go for the move as far as that goes. Uh, Wednesday after the show, I'm going to start uh, de- dismantling this theater here. I'm already started to get a lot of it done. I'll probably pack a little bit more of it up tonight and then uh, get it down to kind of the bare minimums uh, that, I, that I need to stream for Wednesday night. And then Wednesday, start ripping her down and uh, getting her over to the other house. So with that, um, it's going to be an interesting week. I think we're looking pretty good, though, for the move. Uh, basically, all the my, my garage is done. Her garage is done. All of the closets are empty. Um, I have a freezer, and I have the studio and all the big stuff. So we're looking pretty good for the move. So it should go pretty smoothly. Uh, I got the last couple of things I'm going to need to do over at the house too. So I got to get some stuff over there done tomorrow. Um, it's out, out of nowhere. It's like 85 degrees today. I don't know the exact temperature, but it's freaking hot enough. Um, and I'm being stubborn, not turning the freaking air on because while I was freezing all freaking winter and I don't want to sit in the air, I want to have some fresh air and it's kind of nice to have some heat, but man, I just moving a few things up and down the stairs. I sweat my balls off earlier. Um, <laughs> sure. You needed to know that. Why does my, huh? Why is that happening? For some reason, my, um, external hard drive keeps popping in and out. Hmm. That's weird. 
All right. Well, um, so I want to watch that Freedom Cloud because it's an hour and a half. So, I mean, I'm, I, if you guys don't want to watch it, I come back in an hour and a half. We're going to go through the Durham filings that came in today. Uh, Catherine Herridge has some new stuff out there. I want to see what she has going on. I haven't really had a chance to really look at anything. I just kind of grabbed a bunch of stuff, threw it in, and I'll just kind of wing it live, basically. But I saw when I sat, sat down, I saw OAN had this had the James O'Keefe thing on uh, and from House Freedom Caucus, and I, I really want to see that, and it's it's pretty important. So if you don't mind, we're going to spend the first hour and a half watching that. Um, and uh, moving – no, I'm just moving to uh, – I'm not moving far. I'm only moving like 15 minutes away, but we're moving from a shithole apartment into a house. So label my cables. Nah, I don't need to, I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> I keep it all separated and shit. So I got like, I got a little uh, boot, you know, you ever seen those little boot boxes, you know, you buy a set of boots or whatever. I use those for cable boxes. So I got one cable set for like monitors and one cable set for entertainment center and one cable set for whatever else, computer. So that's how I kind of do it. Moving is always a joy. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for the uh, for the shades, uh, TAC264. Good to see you out there, my friend. Um, why in the world does my external hard drive keep popping in and out, dude? Hold on. Hmm. That's weird. For some reason, my external keeps... Uh all right, my my, my uh, USB drive core, uh, thing might be messed up. All right, um, so I want to watch that for the first uh, hour and a half. I want to watch all of it because it's it's very important. I think it's worth uh, recording for the podcast, even though I can't record because my external hard drive is acting up. So, yeah, I'll have to figure that out later. But uh, I want to welcome you all into the show uh, real quick here today, guys. Thanks for being here today. I've been obviously running around like a maniac. You, I know you just wanted to see that again. That's a nice little transition into there to here. See, that's how I'm, I'm working on my transitions. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, so, yeah, I've been running all day, sat down, and I, I want to watch that uh, that Andy Biggs thing. So we're going to do that here pretty quick. But first, I just want to welcome you all and say hello, everyone over there on the Fox Without App. Thanks for being here today with me today, guys. I appreciate you being here. Uh, Politius, thank you for dropping all the links out there, as well as uh, Chris. Show me Rose, Rapture Ready, Shiny Moon, good to see you out there. Tech 264 Glenn, good to see you guys out there today, guys. Over there on Tiger Network, a group of lurkers out there hanging. Thanks for being here today, guys. Rumble crowd is in the house. Good to see you there out there on Rumble today. Do me a favor, hit that plus button and subscribe if you're new to the channel. Come check it out. What we do is we go through all the important news topics of the day every day at 5 Eastern for two hours. And we basically get as much information out there as you possibly can in two hours. So, <laughs> nah, I, I got it, dude. I, 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 yeah, I'm not worried about it, Glenn. Thanks. So, <laughs> um, so thanks for being here today, guys. Over there on Rumble, much love to you guys. Um, everyone on D Live, I see you guys lurking over there. For some reason, D Live doesn't like truth, so they banned my chat room. So fuck them. Take your money out of D Live and sell them to go fuck themselves. Um, true soul, true social <laughs> Twitch is out there hanging out. Uh, Todd, Minnesota desire Tom out there. New followers. Thanks guys for the new files. Unknown user. Thank you for the follow yesterday as well. Whale clouds in the house. Gaffer. Now what's good friend. Good to see you out there. Gaffer, Chris in the house as well as a bunch of other lurkers out there. Thanks for being here today, guys. All right, let's, I'm going to hop straight to it. Um, and I want to play this because I think it's going to be worth our time. So this is today, uh, the house freedom caucus, Andy Biggs, um, Chuck Grassley was there. James O'Keefe uh, and um, Harmeet K. Dillon, as well as Cheryl Atkinson. You guys know Cheryl Atkinson. I don't know if you guys know exactly what happened to Cheryl Atkinson, but she talks about it in this thing. So 
without further ado, I'm just going to hop straight to it. I want to make sure that we uh, get this in here today. And then I got a, definitely a half hour of Durham stuff uh, for the last half hour. I might even go long today, depending on how long it takes for me to get this stuff all out there, because there is a lot out there that we need to get to. So without further ado, let's hop straight to it. Uh, let me make sure my volume is good to go, and then we'll kick it off here. I know Mr. O'Keefe will be back here soon, so... Sorry for the delay. We had technological problems, but uh, we appreciate your attention and your uh, attendance today. We've organized this hearing today to discuss abusive tactics employed by our nation's law enforcement agencies against journalists. This is Ms. Cheryl Atkinson, Mr. James O'Keefe, and Ms. Harmeet Dillon for taking the time to meet with us today to share what happens when the free press steps outside of the corporate media's approved talking points. We also thank our host, uh, FreedomWorks, for allowing us to use this space to have a real conversation about these abuses. And I thank my fellow members of Congress, and we have some with us, and you'll see others coming in and out. It's going to look a lot like a regular uh, congressional hearing. And I appreciate their willingness to change schedules to come in to participate in this in this uh, hearing. Little Hill, I I think it's for us to roughly. I'd like to see us uh, abide by our traditional rules of about five minutes uh, to, uh, for each for, for testimony, for witness questioning, etc. Whether it's colluding with big tech oligarchs to torpedo negative stories about his corrupt family or establishing a Ministry of Truth at the Department of Homeland Security staffed by Democrat activists, President Biden has continued a longstanding tradition of Democrat presidents using the power of government to silence dissent by employing an all-out assault on free speech and the free press. But it does not end there. President Biden is following in the footsteps of his mentor, Barack Obama, whose administration abused the powers of our nation's law enforcement agencies to intimidate and silence journalists reporting on the scandals that plagued his presidency. Today we'll hear first from Cheryl Atkinson, a recipient of numerous Emmy Awards for her investigative journalism, including for her coverage of the Obama ATF Fast and Furious scandal. She's amazing. She was placed under, under surveillance by the U.S. intelligence operations. Ms. Atkinson will detail how she has confirmed that she and her employer were victims of illegal government surveillance activities and how the perpetrators attempted to cover up their crime and have they, they have yet to be held accountable. We will then hear from Ms. Harmeet Dillon, a nationally recognized civil liberties attorney and former journalist and her client James O'Keefe, the founder and CEO of Project Veritas, who will outline the abuse that they have experienced at the hands of Biden's FBI and Department of Justice. In 2021, the Biden administration employed the use of a series of secret warrants, orders, and subpoenas to collect communications and contacts of Project Veritas reporters. Under the guise of investigating the whereabouts of Ashley Biden's diary, the Department of Justice spied on Project Veritas, ignored the ruling of a federal judge seeking to ensure that the First Amendment rights of these journalists were protected, and attempted to hide the fact that the government obtained communications for time periods far outside the scope of the supposed investigation. In November of 2021, the FBI even launched a pre-dawn raid on O'Keefe and journalists employed by Project Veritas, seizing electronic devices in a naked attempt to collect information and, identif and identify Project Veritas sources. 
The actions of the FBI were so out of line that even the ACLU issued a statement warning that the precedent set in this case could have serious consequences for press freedom. Unless the government had good reason to believe that Project Veritas employees were directly involved in the criminal theft of the diary, it should not have subjected them to invasive searches and seizures. We urge the court to appoint a special master to ensure that law enforcement officers review only those materials that were lawfully seized and that are dire directly relevant to a legitimate criminal investigation. The House Judiciary Committee has marked up two pieces of legislation in an attempt to limit the use of non-disclosure orders and to protect journalists from abusive overreach by the federal government. And while those bills will help to protect, protect journalists and news outlets, there's still no excuse for the actions taken of the Biden and Obama, Obama administrations. And that's why we're here today. I wanted to have this hearing after I spoke with Project Veritas about the recent revelations regarding the FBI using non-disclosure orders to prevent companies from sharing with Project Veritas that they were giving information over to law enforcement while at the same time, a different federal judge had ordered them to use a special master to review information that had been seized. These actions should not have occurred, and those who were involved should be held accountable. Hopefully, this hearing today will shed much needed light on the abuse that has occurred, and we as members of Congress will be able to come together to conduct oversight, make needed legislative changes, and ensure that those responsible are held accountable. I thank everyone who is here in attendance today. We look forward to to your testimony. And with that, Ms. Atkinson, I turn it, the time over to you for your opening statement. Thank you for having me. We can talk about my case if people are interested more specifically, but I'm speaking to some broader abuses in history of FBI and surveillance abuses that I think brought us to the point where they were able to do to me and to many other people what they've done with impunity. So this is a little bit of a look back and timeline that I've built on these issues. Our intelligence agencies, including the FBI, are made up of public servants, paid with public money. They operate largely in the dark, and many of them we know do a great job. Unfortunately, even the little evidence that's become public reveals disturbing facts. There are agents and officials who are capable of great abuses, and it's not rare. Too often, the whistleblowers in these cases, when we can find out about them, get punished while the abusers and criminals get a pass. The implicit message is lost on no one. In 2001, under FBI Director Robert Mueller, new rules called Woods Procedures were imposed to stop FBI agents who'd repeatedly gotten caught submitting false information to the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, sound familiar, to spy on US citizens. The new protections at the time required the FBI all the way to the top to strictly verify each fact in a wiretap application. If one fact could not be verified, the whole application was supposed to go back to zero. But 15 years later, we learned after the fact, the FBI was still routinely violating these procedures, likely on thousands of wiretaps. What's come of this misconduct and possible crimes, implicating at least dozens of agents and probably a lot more? Virtually nothing. Even Mueller stayed oddly silent on the FBI misconduct that he surely would have or could have uncovered in his 2017 investigation. Have those whose information was improperly obtained been notified and their illegally gathered or improperly gathered information disclosed to them or destroyed? No. Going to 2002, NSA whistleblower Thomas Drake revealed the agency was, quote, fine-tuning a new scale of mass surveillance conducting blanket surveillance of virtually all electric 
communications going in or out of Salt Lake City during the Winter Olympics. What came of that revelation? The whistleblower was prosecuted for mishandling documents. In 2009, FBI whistleblower Shemai Leibowitz accused Intel agencies of serious constitutional violations and illegal abuse of power. What came of that? He was prosecuted for leaking to the media. As the government secretly expanded its surveillance powers in the name of national security, we discovered officials were even listening in on members of Congress, sometimes political rivals. Someone illegally leaked information about private phone calls made by Democrats Jane Harman and Dennis Kucinich, and even leaked actual recordings of Kucinich's calls with Libyan officials. Government agents, as we now know, targeted journalists, too, with secret surveillance and subpoenas against then-Fox News reporter James Rosen and 20 Associated Press reporters, and they secretly intruded upon and remotely monitored my computers and devices and those of my family while I worked at CBS News. An internal email by a global intelligence firm laid some blame at the feet of then-Homeland Security Advisor John Brennan. This email in 2010 read in part, quote, Brennan is behind the witch hunts of investigative journalists learning information from inside the Beltway sources. There is specific tasker from the White House to go after anyone printing materials negative to the Obama agenda. As far as I know, no congressional committee or law enforcement agency bothered to investigate that or even call and ask the authors of the email where they got their information. Brennan went on to head up the CIA, where questions continued to build. Under his watch, as you probably know, five CIA officials improperly searched through staff emails of the Senate Intelligence Committee. Brennan denied it, then later apologized after the CIA Inspector General investigated in 2014 and confirmed it happened. In a Senate hearing, Director of National Intelligence James Clapper denied there was any mass surveillance on innocent U.S. citizens. A short time later, in June 2013, NSA whistleblower Edward Snowden proved Clapper's testimony was false. Between Snowden and WikiLeaks, the lid was blown off how massive and intrusive the government surveillance dragnet had grown. How is it that America can find itself in a position so chillingly similar to that in North Korea and the former Soviet Union, where people believe government intel agencies are untouchable, not serving the public good, but to be feared, more powerful than any entity that would watchdog or control them? Calling them, quote, the world's most powerful intelligence agencies, Snowden noted they are, quote, such powerful adversaries that no one can meaningfully oppose them. If they want to get you, they'll get you in time. President-elect Donald Trump received a similar warning from Senate Leader Chuck Schumer after Trump criticized sitting intelligence officials. Schumer said, you take on the intelligence community, they have six ways from Sunday at getting back at you. Sure enough, the Justice Department Inspector General, Michael Horowitz, found the FBI and three separate hand-picked investigative teams committed egregious errors in targeting Trump associates for investigation and surveillance during the 2016 campaign. Meantime, less than two weeks before the 2016 election, the FISA court's lead judge, Rosemary Collier, secretly slammed Obama intel officials for a series of surveillance violations. In a document made public after the election, she accused the NSA of, in her words, institutional lack of candor, a very serious Fourth Amendment issue, and demanded fixes. And the FBI, as we know, used evidence that turned out to be unverified political opposition research bought by the Clinton campaign and delivered to the FBI and the media 
And the FBI response seems to be, how are we, the FBI, to be expected to check the sources of political information that comes to us from political operatives? Since then, in speeches and congressional testimony, FBI Director Christopher Wray falsely claimed there's never been any abuses of surveillance authority known as 702, although the court has documented many examples. Indeed. And we've remained successfully distracted by one intel propaganda campaign after another. Snowden is charged with three felonies in his absence from the U.S. WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange has been destroyed, and the information both of them revealed is seemingly deposited down the memory hole. Snowden described his worst fear was that people will see the lengths the government is going to to grant themselves powers unilaterally to create greater control over American society and global society, but they won't be able to take the risks necessary to stand up to fight to change things to force their representatives to actually take a stand. Rather than demanding accountability, I think we've slipped into sort of a 1984 style of acceptance. Public shock and outrage over the known government abuses has morphed into a numb acceptance. I hear people say, of course the government watches all of us. After CBS News officially announced the spy operation against me, I attended an investigative journalism conference where one executive from each major network pulled me aside and told me they felt certain the government was surveilling them too. Imagine how this impacts what we report and what our bosses allow us to report. The institutions responsible persist long beyond any single administration, and I don't know how at this late date these problems can be fixed, short of reinventing our intelligence infrastructure, and of course, depending on who reinvents it, it could make matters worse. But we do know one thing, that the current path leads only to continued escalation of the abuses. Thank you so much. Fire. Uh, Ms. Absolute Dillon, I see you Cheryl. here, and we appreciate you being here remotely, and um, I'll turn some time over to you for your opening statement. We, can you suspend for one second? We need to adjust that volume. She's been watching me too much. <laughs> the Ministry of Truth locked these people up. Indeed, Semper Fi, Z Patriot. Good to see you out there, my friend. Chris, thanks for being here. Connect, connect the dots. You're on fire out there in chat. Vinny, good to see you out there, my friend. Hope all is well. That's why the Dems have done all the illegally, because they know the courts will cover for them. They're moving And all the judges and Democrat judges. That, Solid Ms. point, Dillon, Vinny. So thank you. No problem. Thanks for being here today. Oh, there we go. One, two. Hey, now we, now we have you louder and, and clearer than ever. To everybody out there. Okay, great. Well, uh, thank you, Congressman Biggs, members in attendance, and thank you especially for allowing me to appear remotely to discuss a issue dear to my heart as a lawyer and a civil rights activist, namely the Department of Justice's overreach as it relates to freedom of the press. And I say this as a former journalist as well before I went to law school. Uh, in the spring of 2021, it was reported that the Trump administration had authorized secret demands for the phone and email records of reporters at the Washington Post, CNN, and the New York Times. And at that time, the Biden administration launched an investigation. And in May of 2021, President Biden himself called the practice of seizing journalists' records, quote, positively wrong, close quotes. He also said it was simply, simply wrong. When asked if he would seize journalists' records, Mr. Biden responded, I will not let that happen. Pretty decisive. In July, Attorney General Merrick Garland issued a memo forbidding federal prosecutors from seizing journalists' records. 
We now know that these statements by the current administration were hollow at best. By the time of Mr. Biden's and Mr. Garland's statements decrying the seizure of journalist records as wrong, simply wrong, and something that they would not let happen, the DOJ that they oversaw had already commenced a year-long spying campaign into my client Project Veritas that involved no fewer than 19 clandestine subpoenas, orders, and warrants obtained from nine separate magistrate judges in one federal judicial district, and whose secrecy was guarded by broad-reaching gag orders, including at least two which were obtained without notice to Judge Annalisa Torres, who's overseeing the case. Through the spying campaign, we now know that the DOJ obtained approximately 200,000 Project Veritas emails from Microsoft and countless text messages and Lord knows what else from Apple, Google, Uber, and other still-to-be-discovered vendors. Only six months after Mr. Biden's and Mr. Garland's sweeping and reassuring statements about the integrity of their operations with respect to the media, the DOJ raided the homes of three Project Veritas journalists seizing a total of 47 different devices in a span of a few days. Now, why did the Department of Justice seize 200,000 emails and 47 devices from American journalists on U.S. soil, despite Mr. Biden's and, Pre and Mr. Garland's promises to never let such seizures happen again, or at least not on their watch? Well, it just so happens that the journalists whose data was seized were investigating potentially inappropriate behavior by Mr. Biden and his family. In the fall of 2020, confidential sources approached Project Veritas journalists with a copy of Ashley Biden's diary and other materials supposedly belonging to her, materials that had been in the source's possession prior to even contacting Project Veritas. Now, Project Veritas, as responsible journalists would do, investigated what they were given to determine not only if the items were authentic, but also whether the allegations against President Biden or then-candidate Biden contained therein were true. Ultimately, Project Veritas decided it would not publish the diary or its contents, and it returned them to local law enforcement in Florida. Now, just like the recent news that reporter Josh Gerstein and Politico lawfully received a United States Supreme Court draft opinion overturning Roe v. Wade, James O'Keefe and Project Veritas lawfully received Ashley Biden's diary. There is no distinction between the two journalists' conduct. <clears throat> System crashed again, guys. Uh, we should be good to go. I paused it as soon as it crashed, so you're not missing anything. Uh, let me just get a 5x5 five five from you guys out there, and we'll continue. I don't know what's going on, man. I've never had a problem. I haven't had a problem in four years, and all of a sudden I'm having crashing problems all the time when we're talking about this shit. Fuck you. And Brennan can fucking rot in hell. Fuckers should be publicly mm, sent to the gallows. Piece of shit. Can I get a five by five, please? Good to go and knock my socks off. How about you guys over there on Twitch and Rumble? Give me, give me a heads up, please. Thank you, thank, thank you, Twitch. Thank you, Peggy. Good to see you out there. Uh, Rumble, can you get a five by five out there? Ilda the Hung, good to see you out there. Thanks for being out there today. There was a good crowd over there on Rumble till it crashed. Good to go, Chris. All right, thanks, guys. We should be back everywhere. Let me continue this. Of course, in the middle of an important discussion again, my audience gets dumped. Cat Rocks, thank you for being there. Todd, good to see you, my friend. Hope all is well. Good to see you out there. I'm glad you're here. Of Ashley Biden's allegations against her father. What was the need for 
for the government to rifle through these communications for a period of eight months before the journalists even received the information? I think we all know the answer. The government claims that Ashley Biden's belongings were stolen. They weren't, but this isn't even relevant. In 2001, the United States Supreme Court, in an important case called Bartnicki versus Vopper, made the unequivocal decision that so long as journalists do not commit the alleged theft themselves, they are entitled to receive, investigate, and either publish or not publish the, sto the supposedly stolen materials. Another case, Democratic National Committee versus Russian Federation, made it clear that the reporter could even ask for the stolen materials to be turned over to the reporter. This isn't a crime. In America, this is called journalism. It appears that the only defense journalists have today is in the court of public opinion and in pressure to put law enforcement agencies on notice to seize investigations into journalists. Just two weeks ago, Los Angeles County Sheriff Alex Villanueva announced that his department would not be pursuing charges against a Los Angeles Times journalist who published allegedly stolen security video footage. But he only backed down after the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press denounced his planned investigation of that journalist. When the DOJ ignores federal binding precedent, Bartnicki and others, and the DOJ seizes journalists' emails and phone data, it runs afoul and ignores not just Supreme Court precedent and the law of our land, it also violates the Federal Privacy Protection Act, the current Attorney General's own directive on these matters. The Fourth Freaking the Amendment. Law reporters' privilege. And finally, the First and the Fourth Amendments to the United States Constitution. And these can, things can easily happen again and again without proper oversight from Congress, changes in the law, and a change in the attitude of the United States Department of Justice. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate your testimony. And I know that you might have to, to leave at some point, so we, we excuse you when you need to leave. Thank you. Thank you. And now um, we turn uh, for his opening statement to James O'Keefe. Thanks for being here today, guys. This is FreedomWorks Foundation, who I have supported uh, since 2010 uh, and before, really. Um, that they've had some issues with um, in in uh, infestation with uh, DC, but they're still doing good work out there. And I really appreciate the foundation of Matt Kibbe and FreedomWorks and um, uh, the people that are over there now are doing are doing from 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 afar anyway are doing good work. So this is a hearing today about press abuse here in America. You just listened to Cheryl Atkinson right off the bat. If you missed that, you're going to want to watch that. You're going to want to rewind the show and watch that. And then we just heard from Harmeet K. Dillon about what uh, representing uh, James O'Keefe. And now we're going to hear from James O'Keefe and then questions from uh, the Freedom Caucus. Uh, several members of the Freedom Caucus are in, are in tow as well. So Andy Biggs uh, the, and the Freedom Caucus are just great people, man. They, they are our fighters. They are our people. And we need more Freedom, freedom Works, Freedom loving patriots in the freedom caucus to fight for us. And, and so when they put something like this together, it's uh it's behoo of me and our, our time to make sure we spend to see what's, what's really going on out there with our press. So here you go. Members in attendance, um... oh. Microphone. Congressman Biggs and members in attendance. Thank you for allowing me the opportunity this afternoon to tell my story. 
I especially want to thank all members of the House Judiciary Committee for the recent unanimous bipartisan support of new legislation protecting journalists from government overreach. These are important first steps. But as we face a government that in May of 2021 promised the seizure of journalist data is, quote, simply, simply wrong, unquote, and, quote, will not happen, while simultaneously actively seizing journalists' data, it is clear that the framework of journalist protection that relies upon the government to tell the truth, well, that framework is not enough. My home was raided by armed FBI agents in the pre-dawn hours of November 6, 2021. I was the third journalist at Project Veritas handcuffed um, that November. The FBI took off with 47 devices from our newsroom. The FBI wanted evidence of a crime related to a diary written by Ashley Biden containing allegations about what she described as, quote, probably inappropriate, unquote, behavior by her father. You think? President Joe Biden. The diary and other items supposedly belonging to Ashley Biden were lawfully given to us by sources who had been in possession of those items before Project Veritas was ever even contacted by the sources. And we have a little video clip here of the raid. In short, we did nothing wrong other than the non-crime of investigating a story as journalists do. When we reached out to the Biden campaign for comment, Ashley Biden's attorney, woman named Roberta Kaplan, responded by saying, quote, we should send to the Southern District of New York, unquote. In just 24 days, Ms. Kaplan got her political favor fulfilled when the Southern District of New York approved the first of 19 secret subpoenas, orders, and warrants, which gave the Department of Justice unfettered access to my and other reporters' newsroom email and phone data, complete with gag orders, preventing us from knowing about the seizures and doing anything about it including at least two gag orders obtained behind the federal judge, Annalisa Torres's back, after she had granted our motion appointing a special master over the Department of Justice, where she said it was to protect our, quote, journalistic privileges, unquote. The Department of Justice's actions are patently unconstitutional. So much so, the ACLU and the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press quickly denounced the Department of Justice's seizures. 200,000 of our newsroom's emails were seized. Numerous cell phones, 47 devices. Contrast that with this. To date, the special master has only deemed 355 documents potentially responsive. Yet even these 355 documents are protected under the freedom of the press, an argument the government called recently 
quote, a newly invented privilege, unquote, and a, quote, novel theory. Let that sink in. The government even argued that in order to avoid disclosing our confidential journalist data, we must first disclose our confidential journalist data so the government can be satisfied that we are in fact innocent. This is directly in conflict with United States law. The Supreme Court ruled in 2001 in Bartnicki v. Vopper that we did, that the mere receipt and eventual return of materials for innocent news gathering purposes is First Amendment protected activity, period. In the Project Veritas headquarters, there's a sign when you walk into our building. It says, this organization is protected by patriots. Referring to the millions of Americans who support our work and afford us the ability to defend the right of journalists to report on stories critical of even the most powerful people and politicians in the world. But what of the unknown reporter? No one knows his name. His, his wages are printed words. The thirst for truth courses through his blood. He believes in the maxim, even if only one person listens to my investigative report, it's worth doing because the truth matters. We can, we must protect that person so that what happened to me never happens to him. One, I'm calling on all of you to create a Bartnicki hearing, a requirement that before subpoenas, warrants, or orders seeking to seize journalists' information can issue, the government must first give notice and a hearing to the journalist with the burden of proof resting squarely on the government to clearly and convincingly, the clear and convincing standard above the probable cause standard, prove the journalist in fact played a part in committing the crime being investigated, rather than requiring the journalist to prove with negative of innocence. Innocent until proven guilty, that concept is incompatible with probable cause against a journalist. Two, codify the right of journalists to challenge any subpoena, warrant or order seeking to seize data from a third party, where that data includes the journalist's information. No more secret seizures of journalist information, period. Three, fix the Privacy Protection Act and the 2703D process to provide for clear and meaningful damages to reporters who, like Project Veritas, have to spend millions in legal fees and legal bills to defend themselves from such egregious violations of the First Amendment. What steps you take now as members of Congress to protect freedom of the press are essential. By the time they come to your door with a battering ram, it's already too late. The violation of the Constitution are already too egregious. The battering ram was already at my door, but your work will save the unknown reporter so this never happens again on American soil. Thank you. Fire from James. Thank you. I think all the application testimony was abused indeed. The questioning part of our of our meeting today, and we'll start with the gentleman from Texas, uh, Mr. Lou Gomert. And before you start, I just want to point out uh, we have timekeeper over there and, and has the timer going and so uh, I might I know no one here ever gets long-winded but I might if I have to just remind you of that so with that I'll turn it over to the gentleman from Texas Mr. Louis Gomez. Well, I've been advocating for some time that we use number of words rather than minutes but 
I've lost out on that. Um, <laughs> Mr. O'Keefe, um, I'm curious if the normal procedure for going after documents that may, just let's give them the benefit of the doubt, that might have been privileged that you possess, if they had gone to court, gotten a subpoena or a warrant, uh, or actually gotten a hearing set and an order that you're not to destroy any documentation, uh, and then served on your attorney or you that uh, subpoena, um, the consequences would have been if you got an order saying do not destroy any of those documents, you could have gone to jail for contempt if you had gotten rid of them. And I, I'm just, I continue to be amazed as a former judge and chief justice that the Department of Justice is not about justice anymore. So what would have been the effect if you get a subpoena and an order saying don't destroy any of these documents? What would you have done? Um, Congressman, uh, we, don't, we don't destroy anything, um, but it, it kind of creates a, a constitutional crisis when uh, they come into your apartment and take your things in order, and then they ask you to divulge source information in order to prove that you're, you're innocent. That it's kind of a tautology, that's what we're facing. And there are all pre-existing rules that the Department of Justice is not following. That's why I'm calling on the legislative branch to do something about it. And they have to unseal the affidavit that contains whatever probable cause was in this case, and they have failed to do that. They have not yet done that. Well, Ms. Atkinson, you've uh, referred to prior case law and whatnot. Uh, that used to be the way things were done. If a reporter, if uh, someone had information, then they would subpoena the uh, reporter and there would be a battle in court over whether the things that this Justice Department has just seized, whether or not they would have to be disclosed. Uh, you didn't have any of that opportunity, right? These were things that were seized without any notice whatsoever. Secretly and without even a fake FISA wiretap. There was no wiretap in my case, no legal court action. And one of my FBI sources who helped reveal this, a former FBI unit chief who's an attorney, initially was telling me he didn't think the FBI did it before the forensics came in. He just said the FBI would never touch a journalist that even it used to be if they thought they had good reason to get anywhere near a journalist, they just stayed away because that was considered so untouchable. And when he found out what they had indeed done, as proven by the forensics in my case, keystroke monitoring over a long period of time without a warrant, uh, planning classified documents in my computer, entering the CBS system, he just said this was the worst that he couldn't believe it. He said it was the worst thing he'd ever heard of, far worse than Watergate. And that was the beginning of this sort of unraveling of trust I think a lot of people, including those inside the FBI, had in their own agency to follow the rules. So I, I don't know, I take a step back and go, regardless of the legislate, legislation that's passed, 
If no one's held accountable and punished, if no one goes to prison for these egregious violations, they find ways to get around all of this stuff. There are so many dark operations going on parallel to the legal way that they do things that you'll never find out about. There's no budget on paper. There's no disclosure that you can find through FOIA or look at as a member of Congress. That stuff's just so entrenched inside our intel agencies. They're tripping over each other with well, all their let me, operations. Let me just ask very quickly. My time's running out. But uh, I know there have been proposals that both of you have made about things that we could do to correct things. But having seen the way the FISA judges were not bothered that they had been lied to, fraud upon the courts, no reaction, nobody no judge putting anybody in prison. Uh, I'm wondering if maybe it's time to go back to pre-78 and not have FISA courts anymore. Just your yes, quick reaction, is. both of you, if you would. I've heard an argument made for that that makes sense. I'm not sure. I don't know enough about the legal system to say that's the solution. But those cases, I believe Senator Graham has argued, would then be handled by local judges as they should be with a little bit more diversity of opinion and perhaps less secrecy on important things where there shouldn't be so much secrecy. So maybe that's one thing. There, there's clearly a disparate treatment at the Department of Justice, including how they define journalist. In the, in the uh, amendment here, I have the quote, covered journalist. Term covered journalist means a person who regularly gathers, prepares, collects, photographs, records, writes, edits, information that concerns national stories. The Southern District of New York wrote in pleadings that, that I'm not a journalist because I don't get permission from the subjects I investigate. <laughs> so that directly contradicts common sense as well as the law. Um, so obviously we can't trust the Department of Justice with the power to define who is and who is not a journalist just depending upon who's in charge. That's against everything this, the First Amendment stands for, sir. Thank you. And now we'll uh, turn the time for five minutes to the gentleman from Florida, Mr. Gates. Before my time starts, I'd like to seek unanimous consent that the opening statements of all the witnesses be provided to the attending members so that we might be able to submit them uh, during the, uh, the organized hearings of the House. So sorted. And, and I would further ask that all the participating members be given five days to um, submit their own opening statements for that very purpose. Yes, and to revise and extend remarks. Thank you. Um, I, I am deeply grateful for the brave journalism that we see out of Project Veritas. I want to stay on the point you just made because one way the department will try to skirt any laws we write will be by saying, well, th these are people that are, that are criminal actors or potentially criminal actors, not actually journalists. Mr. O'Keefe, has any court found that Project Veritas is uh, a journalist, journalistic organization protected by the First Amendment? Uh, Congressman, yes, we've we've been in litigation uh, in a number of cases, defamation cases that we've won on summary judgment, directed verdict. In fact, Project Veritas is proud of our legal record. We've we've really never lost a lawsuit. We've overturned the law in federal court in Massachusetts to prevent two-party consent. Numerous Article III judges have referred to us as journalists. So again, so within for, the judicial process, you're deemed journalists, and now there is this extrajudicial process, whether it's going behind special masters, whether it's getting third-party secret orders to turn over records related to you, that 
that seem to violate what would be a straight-up presentation of facts and review. I'm very persuaded by your three recommendations um, for the Parniki hearing, the codification of rights to challenge third-party subpoenas, and then a pathway to damages for these violations. I was wondering if, Ms. Atkinson, you had a perspective on those policy recommendations. I'm not a good policy person. That all sounds good to me, but I haven't studied that. Um, I'm a little cynical in thinking. I'm of the opinion after the my case happened around the 2011 time period. I'm in litigation today over this with Department of Justice using taxpayer money to defend the guilty agents as I struggle to stay in court to get discovery to prove what I'm required to prove before we can get the forensic evidence to a jury. I'm so cynical that I believe most of what you do can, can be end-runned, if that's a word. Not that you shouldn't do it, because that's important, but I feel like something at a higher, bigger level needs to be accomplished to stop the abuses that we've documented. Well, so and well. You, you were, it sucks being set up by the government and surveilled by the government, and sometimes it takes far too long to be able to clear those matters up. May, may I say you, you made, um, you, one little reported facet of my case is one of the federal agents involved in, in one of the operations against me said that they intended to plant child porn in my husband's computer. This is the FBI. There's been a case um, that's currently in litigation unrelated in which an FBI agent has testified that they did that. They have done that. It was not accomplished in my case. I guess the, the curtain was drawn on that facet of the operation prior to them doing it. But imagine how you ever get out of that. How you, they, they knew we had a young daughter at home and had allegedly conspired to do that. You mentioned these dark operations where elements of the FBI and DOJ use other parties to do criminal and bad things, and it appears to be some separate endeavor, but really it's driven by the core corrupt influence. But what Mr. O'Keefe's circumstance designates is they're willing to rip the Band-Aid off and use the imprimatur of government against journalism directly. And uh, to my colleagues, what I think is quite clever about Mr. O'Keefe's policy recommendation is it requires pre-clearance. So that on those matters where they, they would use the imprimatur of government, um, the tools would be limited and there would be thresholds that would have to be achieved. And so that might be one way to not have to always you know, chase the tail uh, of the corrupt actor, but instead to, to block them from initially being able to take those actions. And so I, I would also suggest to my colleagues that as we prepare for our time in the majority, uh, Ms. Atkinson is correct. It is not enough to pass laws and believe that those laws will have their own fiat. It has to be process that blocks on the front end, and then it has to be rigorous, aggressive oversight on the back end. And based on my review of the facts in Mr. O'Keefe's case, we ought to launch an investigation immediately upon taking the majority, not just of this policy area, but of this particular circumstance yes. regarding Project Veritas, because it unlocks so many things. Mr. O'Keefe, I, I learned something more every time I hear you speak about this. I had no idea that the department had tried to do an end run around a special master process. Would you mind taking a few moments to explain how yes, you did that? Yes, Congressman, the Article Three judge in New York Southern District, Judge Torres ordered a special master be ordered in my case in a two-page directive citing, and I quote, First Amendment journalistic privilege. After that, uh, they went around the judge to various magistrate judges in the Southern District to obtain secret warrant against Microsoft to continue to gag Microsoft Corporation, 
which houses our emails, they tried to gag Microsoft after the federal judge, the judiciary appointed a special master, citing the First Amendment. So why would we trust the FBI and the Department of Justice to define who is and who is not a journalist? And, and credit to Microsoft, because Microsoft opposed the gag, and when they drafted that opposition, the Department of Justice backed down. And we went public with that in March. Thank, thank you, Mr. O'Keefe. And now we wow. I recognize the gentleman from North Carolina, Mr. Bishop. Thank you, Mr. Biggs. And um, just to follow that point up, Mr. O'Keefe, was there any reaction by the court, any discipline imposed on the uh, Department of Justice for, uh, for seeking to go and uh, run a, a judicial order? Uh, not to my knowledge. We have filed what's called a 41G motion to get our journalistic equipment back, and the judge ordered the uh, Department of Justice respond to that motion. They responded on Friday um, to our arguments, and, uh, and that's where this Privacy Protection Act, they say it does not apply, um, and they made a number of arguments saying this is quite absurd. The government called our First Amendment arguments a newly invented, invented privilege and novel theory. What the fuck? Pretty extraordinary. You gotta be uh, fucking kidding me. Atkinson made was about a reaction you've had from an FBI agent, and I've had an FBI agent speak to me in confident confidence about your situation and how it what was done here by the FBI it just doesn't fit the mission of the FBI. That they, they they don't they don't work. Yeah, no shit you know, misappropriation of property cases. Um, and uh, I, I, the hard thing to figure out is how much of the FBI is opposed to the practices that are going on and, and why there can be no accountability within the FBI that would straighten this out. Um, you know, it's interesting to me, it, it, in light of the rigid enforcement priorities that the Department of Homeland Security, for example, seems to have, Mr. Gates pointed out in a recent hearing that there are 1.2 million illegal immigrants in the country subject to a immediate removal order, final adjudication of their rights, and the department will not act against that, but they have time to go and seize a diary of Ashley Biden's from you. Um, one other little element to your situation that I recall, and I uh, dug up a, uh, an article about it, a December 25 article, I think it's maybe a New York Post article, I can't tell, from, but it's Reuters. Uh, was the source of it that indicated a, a New York state judge ordered the New York Times to return internal documents to the conservative activist group Project Veritas. Uh, and it, it's what I, the further uh, is related in the text of this, that they were physical copies of legal memos prepared, prepared uh, by one of your lawyers uh, and that they, they had been put into the possession of the New York Times, presumably through, I mean, your conjecture was through the FBI, I guess. Do you have any further insight, or can you relate anything about that to this gathering? Well, when the agents came to our journalists' homes with the battering ram, um, they, uh, within minutes, a very short period of time after the raid occurred, we received text messages from national security reporters at the New York Times, including a man named Mike Schmidt, who somehow knew the circumstances in specific situation. And then some few days later, the New York Times published uh, our attorney-client privileged documents. 
and a judge in the Supreme Court of New York ruled against the New York Times doing that. That's involving a defamation case against the New York Times. Any uh, further developments on that point? Uh, I know the New York Times thought it was outrageous that they'd be uh, dispossessed of your uh, privileged legal documents, but uh, I think people are probably rooting for you. Well, there's clearly a distinction, and it's sanctionable conduct in New York State because we're in litigation against the New York Times for defamation, and, and they're publishing my attorneys in that litigation's private privileged communications and they appealed that, and it's currently in the appellate division in New York State. Thank you, sir. Ms. Atkinson, uh, you're still in litigation. What is the stage of your litigation? How long has it been going on? Maybe seven years, and, um, you know, many, many six figures later, um, and we've been thrown out of court. We keep coming up with new ways. As a Democrat-appointed judge found on one of my appeals prior to the current case, the courts are basically saying that I have to have all the proof of who did what before they will allow discovery in the case. I can't have proof of who did what. I have the forensics, which shows the intrusions beyond. You know, there's no doubt there were government intrusions. But as to the specific names, I can't get that without discovery. So he noted in, on my side an appeal that I lost that it's impossible for me to prove without the evidence what they're saying I have to prove to get to court. And so that case was thrown out. We have a current case in Maryland that was because the, some of the surveillance was done under Rod Rosenstein at the U.S. Attorney's Office in Baltimore with a dark group, including a Secret Service agent at the time who's been, been in prison for unrelated corruption since then, who was involved in the spying on me and a lot of other Americans. And um, the status of that case is we're about to go into discovery. The case was recently assigned to a new judge. I hope that doesn't mean that judge is going to do something different. I have a clerk's award. I have won against one defendant. So I believe mine is the first case ever, even to get that far, of a clerk's award proving that a government agent spied on a journalist. I haven't seen anybody cover that in the news or be interested in it. No re reporters groups have contacted me about it. But <laughs> the case is moving forward as of now, and I have one clerk's judgment already. God bless you, well, Cheryl. An extraordinary. Uh and, and I, you know, this is, I think, to a point, and I'll yield back, Mr. Chairman, in just a second, but just a closing point. Mr. Gates made this uh, point, I think. Uh, when uh, the gavels of committees are in the hands of a party that is interested in, uh, in pursuing this issue, I don't believe it's enough to go learn about Woods procedures and the like. I, I believe that there must be inquiry into specific cases. There must be the gathering using subpoena power of information about what has occurred in violating specific person's rights so that you can nail it down to the individual so that you can then illustrate what Congress must do to get the situation fixed. Because what I think is apparent to everyone is that there's no accountability. And I agree. I, I don't see any prosecutions. I'm not even sure what the criminal offenses are that would be prosecutable. But if they're absent from the criminal code, they must be put there. We have to know who's done what. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I yield back. Thank you, Mr. Bishop. And now uh, I recognize the gentleman from North Carolina, Mr. Norman. South Carolina. Oh, South Carolina. Yeah, sorry. South Carolina, please forgive me. You know, this is just astounding to me. <clears throat> Everywhere I go in Fifth District in South Carolina, people ask, is anybody going to be held accountable? And they're beginning to lose faith that they are. I just appreciate you all continuing to speak out. The only way we're going to get to the bottom of it is saying just what you what you're doing here today on a broader scale. Uh, 
Miss Atkinson, were you at CBS when in 2010? It is what's amazing as I listen to y'all. Were y'all not tipped off at at all that this was coming down the pipe for you? And was CB in your opinion, Miss Atkinson, was CBS? What's your, what do you think their role was? Well, that's that's way down a rabbit hole. I'll just say a little bit by saying, at the time this happened to me, there is evidence in our forensics of CBS involvement at some level outside the news division. That at the time we had hired a security person in charge of all CBS corporate electronic security directly from the White House and the NSA, the Obama White House was working for CBS at the Holy time. Shit. And when this was reported to him and the forensics were proven by their own, they hired their, CBS hired their own forensics company to prove what my sources had found, uh, there was no interest in getting to the bottom of it from the CBS corporate team. They didn't contact me. I had to reach out to them and try to explain how serious it was that someone had been in the CBS system. Um, since then, they have destroyed the records that they agreed to keep to preserve at CBS when I departed from them ahead of my contract, they agreed to preserve documents related to this case. The documents no longer exist. And so that's, that's sort of, if I ever have time and ability after we finish with FBI, you know, maybe we can veer off into something else. Mr. O'Keefe, I, we, I saw when you got involved with exposing Planned Parenthood, uh, you raised a lot of eyebrows. Uh, from from most people who just didn't know that was going on, were they involved? Is this a is a collusion in your opinion with what's happening really to both of y'all? In your opinion, I I don't want to opine on who or what forces are be, behind this. Or I I think uh, Ashley Biden's attorney's statement uh, about sending it to. Uh, the SDN we should send to the SDNY is self-evident. Um, there's also a poster in the room. Uh, you can see the four photos there. We find this extraordinary that uh, Roberta Kaplan is the same attorney for Ashley Biden. She's also the same attorney for Governor Andrew, former Governor Andrew Cuomo, and uh, she represents and she represents the woman married to the son of the U.S. attorney who signed all the secret warrants against me. So it's, those are the facts. Those are pretty self-evident facts, and I don't wish to opine beyond the facts. That, that's, <clears throat> that, that's unbelievable. That, that, that's, uh, this is, every American needs to know what, what not only y'all have gone through, but to see these facts. Um, I was listening to Cash Patel, and, and Dan, you mentioned the role of the FBI. He was talking about the 42 known terrorists on the watch list now that to track them, and I think he had done this, it takes 60 people to, to track them. That's the role of our government instead of going after what you're doing. And ban I assume you've been banned like uh, Babylon B and God knows who else. We are banned on Twitter. Project Veritas is banned on Twitter. I am banned on Twitter, and Instagram does not allow the user to tag us. We are currently in litigation against the New York Times for defamation for calling us disinformation pertaining to a report we did in, on ballot harvesting, which uh, the judge in New York ruled against the New York Times on motion to dismiss and called what the New York Times said about us. The judge called the New York Times disinformation. He said the New York Times engaged in deception and uh, ruled the case go to discovery in New York State. That's huge. Well, 
as this moves forward and as, as Matt has mentioned, we get the majority back, we'd love to uh, do whatever we can. It, it's impossible to have any type hearing now, as you know. Uh, so as we move forward, we'd love to help with you. Everybody on this panel has got an interest in it. And if you hadn't watched 2,000 Mules, which I saw last night, that's as equally as scary as what you're talking about. To be able to put porn on anybody's child porn, particularly on anybody's uh, laptop, is, is scary. Thank you for what you're doing. God bless your efforts. Thank you. You're back. Thank you. Um, now we recognize the gentleman from Texas, Mr. Mr. Cloud. About a half hour of this left, guys. It, I'm, I'm glad that you guys are here with me watching this shit because this stuff is huge. This is absolutely Thank the biggest thing here. of the, Thank of the you day. Thank you for your work. This is, you know, of the many challenges facing our nation right now, this has been one of the ones most pressing for me because, you know, we can talk about the fiscal cliff we're looking at. We can look at inflation. We can look at some of the geopolitical situation that we're dealing with and, and just the rise and fall of nations throughout history. But when there's nowhere to turn to find justice, the whole f idea of a free society collapses. And that's been, uh, you know, as I weigh, like, where do you begin to start to face some of these challenges? That's been, to me, the most difficult ones. And so, you know, we can look at FISA abuse. We can look at the mass collection of, of data of U.S. citizens. Uh, we can see, you know, political opponents who've been targeted. Uh, Ms. Atkinson, you have been targeted, both of you have been targeted personally as journalists, but you uh, mentioned f forensically confirmed uh, data. Could you explain that in a little more detail? The initial forensics was done as a favor to me by someone in the intelligence community because average people, I'm told, who would look at the computer wouldn't find this stuff. They would have, someone has to know where to go. Some of it was, and I'm speaking just quoting what I know, I don't really know the technical aspects of this. Some of it was buried deep in the operating system of my computer. There was a BGAN satellite terminal used at times to remotely access my information. My computer was operated remotely by various actors as if they were sitting at the keyboard, keystroke program. They could turn on and did turn on Skype to activate it when it doesn't look like it's on to listen in um, to my phone conversations or anything I was talking about in the room through that Skype program. Um, the stuff and the software that they have in the computer, according to the forensics, is built into big tech allows them to make it look like it belongs there. So if you run a virus scan, it won't look like anything's wrong in your computer because it's written into the code. Um, so a lot of these things were detailed for me informally by an Intel official. I reported it to CBS News immediately because it also, we knew they had been in the CBS computers through this forensic exam. CBS hired an independent group that came to my house that duplicated some of this work, although they had a, the bad actors had erased data, but that itself leaves a fingerprint. It is indeed a rootkit. Good call, Todd. And CBS confirmed the intrusions, not only in my CBS work laptops, but also my personal Apple desktop computer and so on. And then I, coincident with that, hired my own forensic analyst to have my own evidence in hand. And two separate analyses by two separate companies have continued to dig up more and more forensic data that shows the government IP addresses that were used, that were connected to the U.S. Post Office, the Postal Service. Um, we have a lot of detail. We have some times and dates. So these, I'm told, are as good as a fingerprint and better evidence than we have that China 
got into our computers in various circumstances. We have better evidence than that. And it's just sitting there because I have to be able to get it into court. And, it, and you mentioned it seemed like it went beyond just surveilling you to even trying to frame you. Uh, is, is I that can only speculate as to why they would plant classified documents, three documents in my computer deep in the operating system in the BIOS section where I don't even know how to access. Um, and that would either be, I, I can deduce, to be able to get a legal warrant, to be able to go to the court and say, look, someone is giving her classified material. Someone else around me may have been the target, but you know as they get a wiretap, they can then wiretap every, they can surveil everybody around them. At the time, there was at least a two-hop or three-hop policy that one wiretap could capture 20,000 people right. because they allow themselves to go beyond. They could get President Trump by getting a wiretap of Carter Page, even if Carter Page never talked to President Trump. Likewise with me, perhaps they were looking at the time for my Fast and Furious sources and whistleblowers, um, and by doing that, either trying to pretend that they had given me classified information or that I had received some, which would not be against the law, but it would be against the law of someone for another person if they had taken it or stolen it. So I don't know what they were doing. I presume it was some sort of yeah, way to have evidence appear to be against me for something. Mr. O'Keefe, in your case, you mentioned that you feel like you've been, uh, you're guilty until proven innocent in your case, and that you're having to defend uh, just your journalistic practices uh, and the results of that. One thing that's very troubling me throughout this whole situation is the fact that all this is taxpayer funded. So we have the intelligence agencies going after individuals, we have intelligence agencies going after political opponents. Uh, it's all taxpayer funded uh, to go after taxpaying citizens. Um, but there's, there's a, a phrase that's been coined that I'd like you to speak to if you can, and, and both of you can jump in. Uh, I first heard it from Matt uh, Gates over here, but it says the process is the punishment in the sense of you could end up going through this whole process improving your innocence, but, but the, the process ends up being the punishment. Could you speak to that? what you're having to do to defend yourself. Well, the whole idea of... I'm hoping you guys are enjoying this. If you haven't seen this, this is an hour and a half long. We, we, we started the show off on it at, at 4 Central. I highly recommend you watch all of this and spread this as far as you can. I'm going to grab the link out here for you guys and get it out there to you guys while we're, uh, while we're watching it. It's got about 25 minutes left, 28 minutes left, um, and we're definitely going to watch the rest of it. Thanks for being here today, guys. I appreciate you guys very much. TAC 264, U.S. Postal Service does child porn investigations. That's their access point. Interesting point to attack 264. Thanks for that. Vader369, thank you for the cookie. Appreciate you guys out there. Everyone out there uh, taking this in, I'm glad you guys are here with me today. I, I knew this was going to be something that I wanted to see, and I'm glad you're here watching it with me. God bless you guys. Journalism is to get sources to trust you. And what do you think sources think when they put this journalist in handcuffs and take all their reporter notebooks? The chilling effect is self-evident. Maybe that's what they're trying to do. Either way, the legislative branch has to make sure that doesn't happen. And the problem with probable execution of a search warrant, the ACLU lawyers were in my office, which was itself an extraordinary test fact to the principals involved here. And what they informed me, this has never happened before in American history. And I want to make sure that it never happens again to anybody. You don't show up to a journalist's home with a battering ram. Probable cause against a journalist, as soon as they 
walk into your apartment with the battering ram and guns pointed at you, there's no remedy. The constitutional violation is already too great. It's already, you've already passed the Rubicon. So this can't ever happen again, until which time there's what I call a Bartnicki hearing, with the burden of proof has to be on the government. The federal rules of criminal procedure make this clear. The Privacy Protection Act makes this clear. Attorney General Merrick Garland made it clear in July. They just broke their own rules. They broke their own rules. So now it's upon you, with your enumerated powers, to do something about it so that they don't do this to Josh Gerstein at Politico or NBC News or CBS News. They did it to me. I hope they never do it to anybody ever again. As to other measures, if you really are drafting, interested in drafting something, I'd have to speak to my attorney, but he has implied and said he's willing to talk with members of Congress. By the way, many of my supporters are, as my attorney is, very ardent Democrats who think this is the most, one of the most outrageous things they've ever seen because they are free press and privacy people that find themselves on the same side as many conservatives in this arena. But one thing he says needs to be fixed. Eric Holder, Rod Rosenstein, and some others got their name pulled off my lawsuit because of an immunity protection that they have that I'm told needs to be remedied by Congress or else they have just sort of a blanket immunity in cases like mine where they don't even have to answer the question because we're not allowed to hold them accountable for the actions that they may order if they were not directly, if we can't show without discovery that their fingers weren't on the wiretaps they just get a qualified immunity, and that can be corrected. And the courts have said it's Congress that has to correct that. So I could get some detail. There's that qualified immunity shit again. That's probably getting ready to happen in the Durham case. I hope not. I'm not. I'm not one that's black pilled on Durham and stuff. But passed along. Thank you very much. The gentleman's time has expired. We'll go to. We now recognize the gentleman from Virginia, Mr. Good. Thank you, Chairman Biggs, and thank you, Freedom Works and our witnesses uh, for this hearing that the Democrat majority clearly doesn't want to take place, let alone the American people to see it, and they certainly wouldn't permit it on Capitol Hill while they have the majority. As has already been said, there's a dangerous loss of trust in our institutions over these past few years, especially with federal law enforcement and our justice system, and that massively accelerated during and after the 2006 election happened with the media a long time ago, but even that sunk to a new low by the majority of the mainstream media's unwillingness to uh, provide any accountability for the unlawful actions by their preferred political side. And now, of course, we have an administration that believes the greatest threat to America is Americans, and they're routinely weaponizing our very own federal government against us, against Americans it doesn't like, and they're destroying our foundational norms, our institutions, our laws themselves. We cannot, as uh, Mr. Norman said, we cannot overstate how dangerous it is to the country when half the country doesn't trust the media, doesn't trust our communication channels, doesn't trust law enforcement, doesn't trust our justice system, doesn't trust our health agencies, doesn't trust our election systems, doesn't trust the federal government generally. And I think perhaps we, for decades, have underestimated how delicate, how delicate, rather, our foundation of our country truly has been. To see it so quickly unravel to things that are just unfathomable to think about that folks like you have went through 
as examples of what's going on with the country. Uh, Ms. Atkinson, in your testimony, you referenced an analysis that found that intelligence agencies could use one legal wiretap to access 25,000 people's phones. Can you discuss a little more how, uh, how these large-scale wiretaps, how they happen, and what do you believe Congress should do to prevent this uh, in the future? This has to do with that the intelligence agencies have been allowed to operate largely in the dark and grant themselves authority that is not subject to congressional oversight. So Congress didn't know at the time, is my understanding, that the intelligence agencies over the years started granting themselves broader and broader powers. One of them was... Not only can they spy on U.S. citizens, which you know the NSA used to obviously never be allowed to do that, but routinely they do that now. Um, if a U.S. citizen just mentions a code word, like Osama bin Laden, the phrase, that authorized them to listen in on that citizen. How many people typed the phrase Osama bin Laden in an email or said it on the phone over the years? That was enough to trigger a legal opportunity for them to listen in or target that person. So it's very easy for them to start listening. Then they started with the one-hop, two-hop rule. At, at one point, it was three hops, it's my understanding, that they can not only just listen in if they get a legal wiretap against James, for example, on everybody that communicates with him, social media, emails, telephone, but then they can listen to all the people that talk to those people, all the people that talk to those people, and all the people that talk to those people. And pretty quickly, you're, you're covering the whole United States with a couple of wiretaps. Once that was exposed, it's my understanding they're back down to one hop again. I'm not sure. But these are sorts of things that should be asked in oversight hearings by the appropriate oversight people. And they should be, I assume they should be told they can't make those kinds of institutional changes that involve privacy of so many people without any oversight from outside the agency. In the testimony you provided us, Ms. Atkinson, you uh, mentioned that uh, these other major news network executives believe that they've been monitored by the federal government or surveilled by the federal government. What methods uh, were they saying or do they believe they were being monitored by? They thought part of the monitoring of my family and my, was done of me at the time was through our computers. And they likewise thought their computers were being monitored and they wanted to know what were the signals or how did I know and I had to explain there, there will be no signs, you know, it's an invisible thing, or maybe there will be some glitches because the software they use off the books is imperfect. It's either fast or it's good yeah. or it's inexpensive. So it's not all three things at the same time. You may notice some things. The only reason I knew, though, is because I had sources who came to me and were able to look for this. So they were asking me, how did I know? They thought that they had clues and signals and things that were indicating the same. But to the point of the chilling effect... In the past 10, 15 years, in the past month, I've had five journalists tell me they don't report what they would have reported. They watch what they say. They don't want to be canceled. I mean, the self-censorship that we're all doing now is the ultimate goal because they don't even have to step in to do it. We just stop reporting the facts, you know. We are already on the path to no longer being a free society of the United States of America. Thank you, Chairman. Thank you, Mr. Good. And now I recognize the gentleman from the gentlelady from Colorado, Ms. Bobert. Thank you, Mr. Biggs, and thank you so much for being here today. Thank you to Freedom Works for hosting us. Um, you know, I I really uh, have been appreciating uh, hearing all of this and your 
your answers that you've been giving. But um, Mr. Norman um, had mentioned, um, you know, it's, it's a really sad time when there's nowhere to turn for justice. Uh, we, we've had an extreme year and a half where moms and dads have been called domestic terrorists just for showing up to school board meetings. Um, certainly, uh, free speech is under attack. The press is under attack. And um, the White House is working with some of the press, as they like to say. Um, but our, our founding fathers secured for the American people the constitutional right to free speech and the press. James Madison went as far to say that free speech rights should be absolute. Unfortunately, the Biden regime is no longer interested in protecting our constitutional rights. Since he took office, Joe Biden has continued to attack our first or second or fourth and so many other um, constitutional amendments and on multiple occasions even said that no amendment to the Constitution is absolute. So I'm just waiting for the day that he gets rid of um, a woman's right to vote. Uh, but we continue to see the federal government silence any and all opposition to their radical leftist agenda under the guise of protecting the very constitutional rights they are stripping away. This is allowing the federal government, government to weaponize um, the press, uh, to parrot their own agenda as news and any opposition um, as mis, dis, or malinformation. And I understand that this hearing is specifically about your experiences with the FBI and the DOJ, but unfortunately, we have been seeing the Biden regime continue to expand the federal government's censorship so much uh, so that the Department of Homeland Security has created the taxpayer-funded Ministry of Truth, the so-called Dis Disinformation Board, uh, to continue to censor conservatives. Now, listening to the witness testimonies today, it's clear that the Biden regime will stop at nothing to spread its radical agenda through all means necessary, including silencing any opposition with an all um, all of government approach. Now, I recently introduced the Protecting Free Speech Act, which would terminate this new Department of Propaganda we've seen established under the DHS, which is actually uh, a militarized department. Um, pretty scary that they have enforcement mechanisms there. But earlier this year, the White House um, had admitted to coordinating with big, big tech to silence certain types of free speech on social media. Given what we've seen through the last year, uh, this question is for both of you. Do you believe that the attack on journalists is an isolated incident or another arm of Biden's war on conservative speech? It, for me, it's the disparate treatment, the unequal application of the law. Um, you pointed out Madison, the Founding Fathers, the First Amendment, specifically says press. Mm -hmm. it's, a special, it's a special activity that's specifically mentioned in the First Amendment, and, and therefore that's why this is so, so important. Under the Trump administration, uh, there were, the Department of Justice did attempt to do warrants against Google for New York Times information, but allowed Google to disclose the presence of those warrants. It got to New York Times lawyers. They were able to fight them, and it, was, it went away. In our case, that did not happen. The Department of Justice did not allow us to know the existence of the warrants. In fact, they gagged using magistrate judges Microsoft from telling any anybody about that. That's that's should not happen on American soil, and it's the disparate treatment under the law that we have to get redress for.
I see the crackdown on information and what happens to the press, and I take more of a long view. This has gone on for decades at least, probably further back than I've been able to track, just based on the public information that we have. And I think the intelligence agencies have become least. very untouchable and very controlling. They persist from administration to administration. It doesn't really matter very much who's in charge in terms of who's president because the same actors may put their heads down publicly but continue to operate in the dark the same way they were. So I think it's a bigger problem that can be resolved by a different president or, you know, s small measures. It's, it's, um, this is something that we probably needed to address 50 years ago. Quick reference to Quest Communications back before 9-11, telecommunications company. The CEO of that company told me a story, and I did a piece on this a couple of years ago. All the phone companies were cooperating with hundreds of millions of dollars of contracts for the Intel agencies back before 9-11. And when he refused at one meeting with an NSA official <clears throat> to start turning their surveillance on U.S. citizens, which he told the NSA official he didn't believe they had the authority to do, he ended up in prison for something unrelated that they supposedly caught him doing having to do with trading. I mean, this was a very chilling thing. This man went to prison. He was the only telecommunications agency that bucked the NSA to start spying on American citizens before 9-11. This stuff goes way back, and I think it's very, very deep. I thank the gentlelady. Her time has expired. And now I recognize the gentleman from Ohio off a big electoral win the other night, Warren Davidson. Uh, thank you all. Thanks uh, for organizing this hearing. Thanks to Freedom and Works for hosting us. And uh, Ms. Atkinson, Mr. O'Keefe, thank you for the work you do. Uh, you, you can't really defend freedom without defending a free press. And thankfully, our founders recognized it. And unlike so many other countries in the world, we have a constitution that protects it. Uh, I'm increasingly concerned, and even more as I sit here and listen to the dialogue. Just going back to, you know, your reference to the Quest CEO and your own family's experience where you had agents willing to plant information, recent history where we saw the FBI uh, basically organize the kidnapping of a governor of one of our states uh, in order to frame people that might be willing to go along with the plot. Um, that we might be going about this the wrong way. You know, we, we kind of sometimes think, well, maybe they just don't really know what they're doing. I know when I first got to Congress, I was pretty naive. And, you know, Christopher Wray had just taken over as the director of the FBI. And I wanted to politely, in a sidebar conversation, say, look, I will really wish you well because it, what you're doing, taking over as the new director, um, is really important because the American people do not trust this organization. They clearly don't trust your predecessor. They don't even know you, but I hope you can restore the trust. Well, obviously it hasn't gone well for trust at the FBI since uh, you know early 2017 when Christopher Wray took over as the director. But I was rewarded for that by really creepy behavior as I was leaving the building. Not any building, the United States Capitol, as a member of Congress. I see all these people with large telephoto lenses, bazillion rounds, frames, taking pictures 
uh, you know, stuff that was overt enough to be like, this isn't regular journalism. I'm, I'm not Matt Gates or anything. People aren't taking pictures of me like that. You know, that's the only time that's ever happened the whole time I've been here. It was right after I just asked, hey, we need your agency to be successful. I wonder if maybe we don't just need different people. So you think about like the idea that, that you're going to reform an organization by keeping all the same people in all the same chairs and playing by the same rules. Perhaps we need a completely different org chart, a whole different structure uh, for this. And I wonder if we were to look at this in a blank slate, if either of you have given thought to how might we ought to be organized. Not maybe James has an answer to that. I would just say I agree when they brought in Robert Mueller to do an investigation in a case that had done Woods procedures violations that happened under him or the reforms when he was FBI director, it starts to feel like just the same people are coming back and somehow get appointed to be the overseers. And I don't know how you root that out from top to bottom, but I think you're right. The same people keep coming back and you're not going to have big changes. I don't know if you were here earlier when I pointed out that Christopher Ray gave false testimony to Congress in claiming there had been no 702 surveillance abuses. That's just completely false. And no member who was sitting there, no offense, it wasn't this committee, but not one person said, that's crazy. There's lots of documented abuses in the record. They, everybody just kind of nodded. And um, I think that's a big deal. Good point. Yeah, I, I think that uh, accountability really, from, from our perspective as news people, is sunlight. That's the accountability. You, you all derive your power from the consent of the governed. So that consent can't be manufactured. And this, what has happened here, and what I've testified about, the battering rams, the handcuffs, rifling through notebooks to identify sources, we, we have sources in the government who have been chilled out from coming forward to educate people and outrage them about what's happening in the intelligence agencies. And they can't do that. Be so for me, it's, it's circular. And that's why there has to be this reform. There are rules. There are criminal rules of federal procedure and Privacy Protection Act and Attorney General's own memos. They just violated it. So the, that freedom to bring the information forward and there needs to be some standard. It's on the government. If they're going to raid a journalist's home, again, I go back to this concept that there has to be a clear and convincing standard. It can't just be, we need to look through your anonymous sources to, so that you can prove that you're innocent to us. That has to be changed. Yeah, you, you've highlighted some really important laws that do need to be changed, uh, but none of them have been successfully enforced. I mean, I had one that was just so basic to your point, uh, Ms. Atkinson, uh, when there are violations, we just wanted a summary of uh, who violated these rules and what disciplinary action was taken. It could have just been not benign and they weren't well trained. Uh, it, it could have been you know, something small enough that there was some disciplinary action. Was anybody ever fired? Was anybody ever prosecuted? Uh, and we even got it through the House once only to be stripped out of the Senate. So there's not even uh, that level of accountability. So. Uh, I think we may have to change the whole org chart and dismantle uh, some of what's already created. And uh, obviously that's a pretty big lift because we have ongoing needs. Uh, it is vital that we have national security. But thanks for highlighting the balance that is definitely askew right now. Uh, you.
Thank, thanks. I think it's the gentleman from Ohio. And, and so, uh, Ms. Atkinson, uh, when you were testifying earlier, and you're talking about the, the forensic analysis by, I think, a total of three different CBS plus two privates, uh, one of the things you mentioned, and I, I want to make sure I understand it, was you, I thought you said there was some tie to the United States Postal Service in there. Can you elaborate on that for us? Well, I don't want to get too far out of my lane forensically, but there is a way that we were able to prove forensically what IP addresses that are non-public that should not have been accessing my computer from the outside were, despite the fact that the bad actors did erase a lot of data, there were some fragments of data that had been saved. And so we were able to trace what data that was, what IP addresses they came from. We went to, with the help of some um, members in the Senate at the time, the Postmaster General, and asked them to investigate this. And I was called in and treated like a suspect by the Post Office Inspector General's office. And, and they, the man who, Mr. Duckworth, asked me some questions, told me his job was to figure out where the forensics were wrong because it couldn't be that their IP addresses were in our computer. So that's how they approached their investigation of this. So I appreciate that. And the reason that I raise that is because I don't think uh, any member of Congress really knew until just a couple of years ago that there was uh, a kind of an, an investigative arm of the USPS. And so uh, to see that you were victimized by, by that group was, was pretty astounding. Um, and then uh, just uh, some of the things that we've heard today, they were plant not, not just busting down your doors and stealing your stuff, they're planting from trying to plant information in your computer. That is just, uh, I mean, everything we've heard has been out, totally outrageous. And when we talk about blowing up and starting again, not just the org chart, but I mean, I think of FISA. I think FISA, that, that uh, I think there's was, there was a handful of members who voted against the reauthorization, as, as I did, because it's so uh, prone to abuse. And then it did get, it was revealed like two weeks after the vote on the floor. I find that to be un, un, uh, undeniably um, coincidental. So the other thing, too, is I wanted to ask you, Mr. O'Keefe, about uh, the, the Southern District of New York and the U.S. Attorney's Office there, re recognizing that I, I don't want you to prejudice your, your, yourself in any way, but I am curious to know how they have proceeded and uh, from an ethics point of view, as they've uh, been involved in, in this uh, uh, with regard to Roberta Kaplan? Well, uh, the, the graphic there speaks to the relationships. Again, she's the lawyer for the daughter-in-law of the U.S. attorney who signed the secret warrants. The, we understand the law of the land is that you need permission from the attorney general of the United States to Audrey Strauss execute a search warrant for the FBI to execute a search warrant against a press media company. I, I'm not aware of that ever happening before in American history. That's what the ACLU told me. They're defending Julian Assange in his case, but um, we we don't we don't we have no reason to believe they went to Maine Justice to get that to get that approved. Either way, they're. Attempts to say that I'm not a journalist in opposition to the special master is absurd. And their recent, last week, response to our 
return of property motion, uh, completely ignoring any First Amendment argument that we made, uh, shows bad faith. What, did, did Judge Torres know about the, uh, the second court order? Uh, I'll have to check with counsel on that. Okay. I, I was curious about that. Uh, how did you find out about the second route that the FBI was using? Second route? Yeah. I mean, as, as far as they were going around the special master. We found out because uh, after the federal judge appointed the special master in, I believe it was December 8th or thereabouts, there was warrants that were unsealed later showing they went to try to gag Microsoft Corporation with these 27023D gag orders to try to prevent Microsoft from telling anybody about what happened after the case was public and the federal judge cited First Amendment privileges. So for the Southern District to continue to shop around the magistrate bench of New York try to continue to silence Microsoft, that, that, that behavior is beyond unethical. And Microsoft, credit to them, fought back, and that's when they, these, all these warrants became unsealed and we found out about it. Thank you. We, we, you know, our time is, has expired, but I, I, I will say this has been very enlightening. It's outrageous and Probably more than outrageous. It's it's so Soviet-like. It's un unbelievable to me. Um, I appreciate that that both of you would come in and 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 Ms. Dillon, who was here earlier, also testifying. And um, and I think some of the the potential solutions that you've offered are 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 really worthwhile. And I think that Mr. Gates' idea that we should be going uh, and setting up to have. Um, oversight hearings and investigative hearings immediately upon the change of gavel are important. And so I call upon our Republican leadership to send the, the uh, preservation letters necessary to, to the leaders of these agencies as well as appropriate action actors in these agencies so we will have those documents preserved for the time we can actually bring them in through subpoena and, and begin to, uh, to do what needs to be done. I also call upon my Democrat colleagues, many of whom are outraged by this type of conduct um, by the police apparatus of the United States of America to also join us in, in calling for preservation of these documents and hearings uh, immediately um, to hold those who are responsible accountable. With that, um, I'm grateful that you are here Sorry that you're, you're, you're go undergoing this, uh, this harassment and, and, frankly, more than harassment, this illegal conduct on the part of our own government. And I appreciate my members for, uh, who are here today and the staff that worked so hard to put this together. Uh, yes, I'll yield to Mr. Gomer. You know, this is this is. It reminds me of if you go back and read um, Solzhenitsyn, anything by Solzhenitsyn or, or others. That's that's what you see. This is what you saw. Um, same thing with with anything regarding to East German Stasi or anything like that. That's what this is. So it's outrageous and and it has to be brought to an end.
And with that, um, we are adjourned. Thank you all. All right, guys. There you go. I'm glad you guys uh, took the time to uh, watch that with me today. <laughs> um, interesting timing, I'll say that. Um, but, uh, man, that is um, – can you imagine? Can you imagine what Cheryl Atkinson's been going through, James O'Keefe's been going through, through all this bullshit? Do me a favor, please tell all everybody you can find to watch that. Tell your family members, people that are trying to figure out what the hell is going on right now, why, what is happening in this world. That's what's happening. We have the weaponization of the three-letter agencies in a coup, stolen election in this country, and they are shoving it in the face of America. And that's really what's happening. They're... They believe they got away with the crime of the century and they believe they are untouchable. They believe qualified immunity protects them from anything. And they believe that they are going to impose a new world order on the world. I realize that people think that that sounds like a crazy conspiracy theory. It is not. If you read the documents in the United Nations Charter for Agenda 2020 and Agenda 2030, they will tell you what their goals are. They tell you what their goals are. They tell you that depopulation is the agenda. They tell us loud and clear. I'm glad you guys all liked uh, watching that. That was very important, and I hope you guys uh, spread that far and wide. I need to uh, keep moving here today because we're. I, I'm already an hour and 45 minutes in, and I appreciate you all for being here. Thank you for the support today. Uh, don't forget, mypillow.com backslash Abe. Uh, if you need any kind of pillows, anything out there, please uh, check it out, man, because um, it's it's a honor to have them support the channel, and it's going to change what I'm able to bring to you guys into the future, and it's very important for me. So thank you guys for all your support with MyPillow.com backslash Abe. The phone number's on the screen. Discount, huge discount and a free gift from Mike Lindell. So thank, that, thank those guys very much for supporting me. What is the Great Reset? What's up, Aaron? What exactly is the Great Reset? You're asking yourself, okay, now what? What is all of this? What is happening? This, my friends, should scare the living shit out of you. But there is a reason why a bunch of us were pulled together in this world to bring people through what's happening in our world right now. We believe God wins. We believe in the American people, and we believe the future is bright. There is only one way that America can survive and the world can survive what they want to do. And that is forget about freaking politics, forget about killing babies and start realize that, no, that we are enslaved by our government and the world. We must unite together to restore the foundation of the constitution in America and freedom around the world. That is what we are up against. And that's why I dedicate my life to this because I see what is happening. I'm trying to raise the flag and all of us that are out here that are all crazy QAnon conspiracy theorists are trying to raise the flag and say, look, maybe not, maybe everything we have isn't all exactly, um, exactly the way the world is. Maybe we're wrong here or we're wrong there, but everybody's heart in this movement is, is for one purpose. And that is to try to awaken other people up to the realities of the world around us. And the reality of the world around us is the people in the power structures of, of the United States government have been corrupted by world leader, the world's uh, oligarchs, the world's crime families own America at this point. And that's why you're seeing what's happening right now, because we've lost America. And we must stand up and we must do what we can peacefully to restore our constitution and our freedoms. 
As I've always said, if it looks like a plot to enslave humanity, talks like a plot to enslave humanity, and acts like a plot to enslave humanity, then it's probably a pure-hearted, philanthropic plot to serve the greater good. Am I right? Now, I'm assuming you've already heard of The Great Reset, a very nefarious plot proposed by World Economic Forum to use the COVID-19 global financial crisis and climate change as an opportunity to completely restructure life as we know it. I mean, how could you not have heard about it? It's literally been laid out in the plain sight for all the world to see by the World Economic Forum, and we're experiencing its crushing impacts every single day. Day. Despite this fact, many people still dismiss it as another conspiracy theory. I suppose it's because the idea of power-hungry elites ushering in a new world order has almost become a cliche at this point. But make no mistake, unlike lizard people, this is very real. However, most of the people who talk about the Great Reset only have a vague understanding of what it actually is. And over the past year, the Great Reset has become a catch-all phrase, a buzzword used in right-wing circles to describe everything that's wrong with the world. In this article, I will attempt to explain exactly what the Great Reset is, unravel its complexity, and cut through the soft language used by World Economic Forum to disguise its true intentions. I will attempt to lay out the plans of the World Economic Forum in the simplest way possible. It is absolutely essential that every man and woman and child understand precisely what the world's most powerful elites are up to and what this could mean for the future of mankind and humanity. What is stakeholder capitalism? First things first, in order to fully understand the Great Reset Agenda, we must understand something called stakeholder capitalism. Klaus Schwab, the founder of the World Economic Forum, wrote a book in 1970 describing the, what, what was later referred to as stakeholder capitalism, a new form of capitalism where corporations would aim not just to make loads of money, but also to enhance the well-being of everyone who has a stake in the company. This would include employees, governments, and communities that are affected by goods and services. This theory has been described as the next logical step to traditional shareholder capitalism. Klaus Schwab once said, a far better economy is possible, but we need to reimagine capitalism to do it. So, in Schwab's idealistic vision of utopia, businesses would focus on things like environment, impacts on public health, well-being, equity, gender, and racial inequities, so, etc., it's starting to make sense why wokeness is so prevalent these days. In practice, however, stakeholder theory doesn't really serve the people's interest at all. This is because governments are also considered a form of stakeholder in this theory. And because governments are in positions of power, they ultimately get to decide what serving the greater good actually means. In stakeholder capitalism, governments would create problems, then provide grants, contracts, and ta tax exemptions for corporations that are willing to, quote-unquote, solve these manufactured problems. Take climate change, for example. Investors would place their money in a things like green energy ahead of the government's Green New Deal policy changes. Major corporations would be contracted to build the needed infrastructure to go green. In turn, governments and businesses simultaneously become more powerful and wealthy. Stakeholder theory appeals to the left with elements of socialism, while also appealing to the right with elements of free market capitalism. But don't get it twisted. The Great Reset is merely a mixture of the worst parts of both communism and fascism, all wrapped into a single package. The end result is a massive expansion
division of government while the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Let me give you another example. Remember when pharmaceutical companies were being called by governments around the world to serve the greater good and manufacture a for-profit vaccine to solve the global health crisis created by the pandemic? Pharmaceutical companies then produced millions of doses of experimental mRNA vaccines in record time. Governments around the world then proceeded to mandate these vaccines against the will of the people and big pharma companies to profit hand over fist. This is a perfect example of stakeholder capitalism in action, and we're seeing more examples like this emerging every day. Remember, also, when small businesses were forced to shut down during the pandemic while big businesses shifted their operations online, businesses like Amazon were paraded as heroes for responding to the needs of the pandemic. Jeff Bezos, along with the world's 10 richest men, dubbed their fortunes from $700 billion to $1.5 trillion in two years doubled. This was one of the greatest wealth transfers in human history and happened as a direct result of the government's pandemic response. Yup, that's stakeholder capitalism for you. No wonder why the CEO of Walmart loves it so much. I think the growing interest in stakeholder capitalism stems from companies genuinely invested in doing good for our world, said Walmart CEO Doug McMillan, Hillary's puppet, Sure it does, Doug. Sure it does. You see, tucked behind its soft language of creating safety, well-being, equity, and sustainability, stakeholder theory is just another form of what's being called crony capitalism, where success in business relies on collusion between big business and the government, and in this case, a global government. What is the World Economic Forum? Klaus Schwab's book, Defining the New Form of Capitalism, inspired the founding of the World Economic Forum and the first Davos meeting in 1971. Ever since Davos's con- conception of all the world's most wealthy CEOs, world leaders, journalists, trade unions, and various experts have been meeting a- annually in Geneva, Switzerland, to form a gigantic brain trust. Yay! For 50 years now, they aimed a- to form a stronger public-private partnership and tackle the most pressing issues facing our globe, including but not limited to pandemics and climate change. The World Economic Forum's mission statement, quote, to directly influence global agendas, decision-making, and lobbying for for public-private cooperation. What could go wrong? What is the Great Reset? The Great Reset was originally drafted in 2010 by the World Economic Forum's three most senior leaders, Klaus Schwab, Mark Moloch-Brown, Moloch, of course, and Richard Samans. It was proposed by the World Economic Forum as a response to the 2008 economic crisis, a manufactured crisis in its own. The proposal is a whopping 600 pages, and Harris Gleckman at the University of Massachusetts describes it as the most comprehensive proposal for redesigning global governance since the formulation of the United Nations during World War II. The central idea is that the golden age of capitalism has come to an end with government policies making sure that that happens. New policies were proposed to address climate change, fix the growing income divide, incentivize green energy, and ban financial activity that didn't serve a clear public purpose. The Great Reset also aimed to get the corporate world more involved in the United Nations and form a public-private relationship. However, at the time, I'm just going to stick to this because this is so good. However, at the time, the idea of a green economy was seen as too costly, burdensome, and was largely rejected for being too idealistic. Fast forward to year 2020 and the COVID-19 crisis conveniently created the perfect set of circumstances to reignite the Great Reset and move its agenda at the world at Operation Warped Speed. The following quotes are taken directly from the World Economic Forum's website. Quote, there is an urgent need for a global stakeholders to cooperate operate in simultaneously managing and direct 
the direct consequences of the COVID-19 crisis to improve the state of the world. The pandemic response represents a rare but narrow window of opportunity to reflect, reimagine, and reset our world, unquote. The agenda of the Great Reset, the ruling class sees the pandemic and the climate change crisis as an opportunity to create massive collusion between the public and private sector. At its core, the World Economic Forum aims to use a series of manufactured crises to dissolve national sovereignty and embrace a new form of global governance. In their vision, a small handful of people would amass tremendous amounts of wealth, power, and control, while the rest of the people are subject to mass surveillance, forced vaccinations, and ultimately becoming completely impoverished. You will own nothing and be happy is a slogan taken directly from one of the WES promotional videos. It's in the near future, rather than owning your property, you will rent everything while the government provides you a universal basic income as being, as being tested in Austin, Texas right now. Transportation, healthcare, and et cetera, et cetera, will all be provided for you by the government. All of this change brought forward under the guise of building a healthier, more sustainable future, a new green global economic system which blends the worst parts of both communism and fascism governed by a ruling class of quote-unquote trusted experts for, the, for your well-being and safety. Thank you, uh, Anthony Fauci, for all your trusted experts. Such radical changes were previously met with great resistance from people who complained about things like personal freedom and spending deficits, the logistics of creating a a green economy obviously requires a massive overhaul of changes across multiple sectors and was rejected for being too costly and burdensome. The attempts to push for this agenda by fear-mongering people into compliance with climate change propaganda has been largely ineffective. But all that changed when the COVID-19 pandemic came along. COVID-19 conveniently created a needed paradigm shift to justify massive amounts of spending and a total restructuring of the human civilization as we know it. After two years of lockdowns, economic collapse, and sheer calamity, we, are, we now see the WEF saying the COVID-19 pandemic has merely awoken the public to a greater need to form stronger public-private partnerships to prepare for future pandemics and for the next global crisis, the climate crisis. Governments are already creating surveillance states and max, mass vaccination programs justified by the pandemic, but will use this momentum to continue the Great Reset. We are now seeing central bank-controlled digital currencies forming right alongside social credit systems and Green New Deals. The corporations uh, tested in Ukraine, by the way, uh, by, by China, the corporations colluding with governments are already building the infrastructure for the Great Reset. BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street Capital have quadrupled their financial stake in S&P companies and are literally forcing CEOs to comply with the Great Reset. Companies are, begin, are, are being given EGC scores by banks who grade them on their environmental friendliness, affecting whether or not they can receive loans. CEOs are essentially being forced to exclusively invest in environmentally friendly and sustainable forms of energy while also embracing ideas of wokeness with diversity and trans rights also being included in the EGC checklist. 
Three investment management groups, BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street Capital, are in positions to manipulate entire markets for dissenters who won't bend the knee to the Great Reset. BlackRock CEO is on the World Economic Forum's board of directors, by the way. In the last two years, we've seen the world turn on its axis, and I can assure you that this is the beginning. The pandemic may seem to be rescinding, but this is not over. The people in power are not done with their agenda, not by a long shot. The entire world is moving rapidly toward a new form of global governance and the World Economic Forum's agenda can only be brought about by a series of manufactured crises. So if it's not another pandemic, it will be food shortages and power outages and natural disasters, droughts, dot, 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 aliens, figure it all out, it's coming, or worse, all of the above. In order to stop this, a significant number of people must wake up and learn precisely what the Great Reset is all about. Learn who the members of the WEF are and learn how to fight against this machine. Otherwise, we are surely headed for disaster. Understand that we are standing on the brink of destruction and the end of life as we know it. The clock is ticking. Now is the time to stand together in diametric opposition to the ruling class. We can stop the Great Reset in its tracks, but only once we learn to stop engaging in petty squabbles created to keep us ignorant and divided. Ultimately, we get to decide who wins in the end. So what is it going to be? The Great Reset or the Great Awakening? Boom. Nick Moser with some fire in a substack today that I have the honor of reading to you. And that, my friends, is how you do a two-hour show sending a message to those that are not waking up to the world we freaking live in. If you don't start, like he said, the petty squabbles can be handled in the future. For now, throw everybody who is in D.C. out of office, find somebody new to put in there immediately. I'm talking everybody. If you've been in D.C. for longer than five or ten years, get the fuck out. See ya. New blood Every, every two years from now on, obviously not all at once, right? But we need to work our way through these subversives and Marxists and globalists and, and rhinos and get them the hell out of there immediately. And that, what we can do is, is we can do what we can in 2022, going to your local pol- polls, getting involved with your local tea parties, getting involved with your local politics, finding out, finding somebody who thinks differently than you and going and having a conversation with them and asking if they know about these things, if they understand what's really happening in our world. This can be done. The reason why we are here, the reason why we have been brought to this time is not on accident. It is not on accident. All of us have been brought together during this time for the purpose of making sure that freedom rings, and it will. Mark my words, it will. All right, guys, I appreciate you guys today. I had a lot more to get through. We'll cover that stuff tomorrow. More information on Durham tomorrow for sure. I'm going to go ahead and wrap the show up with that. I appreciate you guys very much for being out there today. Everyone over there, all the lurkers out there on Tiger Network, uh, uh, (laughs) all the lurkers out there, we appreciate you guys being here very much. 1,845 gold pills today. Thank you for all the support on the Foxhole.app. I appreciate you guys very much. 
There is the scratch and everyone over there on rumble. Great crowd today on rumble. Thank you guys for being here today. And thank you for the feedback. I appreciate you guys out there very much. Do me a favor, hit that subscribe button, share the link on rumble and hit that plus button, please over there on rumble. I appreciate you guys very much. The D live lurkers. Hey, take your money out of D live. They, they demonetize me again. And I, I appreciate you guys very much for being here. So thanks. Thank you very much. Be back here tomorrow for another edition of uncensored Abe. And with that, I want to say much love and God bless you all. We'll see you guys back here tomorrow. Treat the word impossible as nothing more than motivation. Relish the opportunity to be an outsider. Embrace that label. Being an outsider is fine. Embrace the label. Because it's the outsiders who change the world and who make a real and lasting difference.